Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the World Cup Review Show. It's a show that's not been able to eat crepe Suzette or beef bourguignon since Saturday evening. On today's pod we're looking back on the past week of World Cup action, focusing naturally enough on the quarter-final clashes, as well as casting a glance at the forthcoming semis. The greatest sporting stage of them all awaits. We'll also be paying some due deference to players who have lit up Guitar 22. To discuss all this and more, I'm delighted to be joined today by the Socrates of Podding, a man whose opinions are often as clinical and as accurate as Toto Scalacci in 1990. It's Asan. How are you, sir? No need for the sarcasm. <laughs> it's not sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good, mate. How are you? You know what? It says something about you, man, that I always kind of, you know, chuck a, a World Cup legend in there and people go, thank you very much. And you take it as sarcasm. I'm, 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 I'm so cynical. I'm always immediately like, what are you trying to say, mate? Love it. Love it. Um, yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Um, lovely day outside. A bit cold, but just just how you like it in December. What What's mm. it like out there? It is. Uh, it's been rainy. Uh, it's been cold, and it's also been sunny. But it feels very Christmassy because good um, because the tree is up, the lights are on. I've got very little work left to do this week. I've started, you know, thinking about what sort of wine I'm going to be buying to keep in the house over the Christmas and New Year period. And now um, I'm I'm ready for it, mate. Yeah. Well, funny enough, I'm I'm off out um, late afternoon to get Christmas booze in. So, uh, yeah, as in, get booze in, not I'm boozing. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I don't, re- we don't get a lot in, to be honest. It's, the in-laws don't drink and it's, you know, it always falls on me and I end up drinking way too much in January. So I'm not making <laughs> that mistake again. But yeah, I'm starting to feel Christmassy now, which is weird because it's World Cup fever and it's a semi-final tonight and it's hard to kind of conflate the two. Um before we get to the game tonight, obvious place to start is a game we've already discussed actually this week on another pod, England France. So we'll just kind of skim over this. Mm. Um, where was the game won and lost for you? I guess in the in the fine margins, in mm. in the in the brilliance of of the two uh, of the two France goals, the kind of individual brilliant actions, Schumann's strike and Griezmann's cross. Uh, and then, unfortunately, Harry Kane's missed penalty. I, I do think it, it really, it just came down to those moments because I think if you removed those moments, you would say it's an, a very even game. If anything, you think maybe England pipped it over the 90 in terms of performance. Yeah, I, I entirely agree yeah. and it did come down to those kind of big moments in in a multitude of moments that occur throughout any game but could anything have been done differently um could Southgate have done anything different could anyone on the pitch have done anything different as I said on the review yesterday I think my big thing um the the glaring I guess criticism that I had is I felt after we had scored the first penalty um we let France France back into the game were by Pickford kicking the ball long five, six times and basically giving the ball straight back to France and allowing them to build up ahead of steam, uh, which is where the chance before the Griezmann goal, uh, the the um, Giroud goal comes from. He has a chance before that uh, and then he gets the goal. And for me, it's all precipitated by England giving France the ball back. 
I almost felt as though that was the moment for somebody to go, let's just keep the ball for five minutes. Let's just pass it back and forth between mm. the centre-backs and make them come and press us. And if they do come and press us, try and pick the holes that they've left and play the ball through the lines. But we didn't do that. We seemed to revert to a kind of inferiority complex or a fear. Um, yeah, so that that would probably be the, the big thing that I would change. I think that's inherent in the mindset of England players as well, because were they playing for Liverpool or Manchester City, etc., they wouldn't have done that, would they? They would have done precisely what you espoused there, which is just to keep hold of the ball, take the sting out of the game, and then you know uh, build from there um, and maintain what you've got. But because you're in an England shirt, panic does inevitably set in. You can see, or maybe maybe that's a bit unfair to players. Maybe it's actually just the scale of the game. It's going to affect your your mindset. I guess that's inevitable, isn't it? Even professionals, if you're at World Cup finals, you're going to play different. You're going to think different, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. I I, I agree with it to some extent, but I do feel as though um, there is enough experience uh, yeah. on the pitch and uh, like so. My my take on it, and and I'll never know or we'll never know. My take on it is that there's no way Pickford has done that without somebody on the touchline going do that. That's mm. not a decision that I'd be shocked if that was a decision that he made unilaterally to having played short all almost all evening, yeah, and actually been pretty good at uh, playing the ball out from defence. Stones was great. Maguire was great. Rice was great. There, there was there was a lot to be positive about the way that we'd built up. And so for that to change after the first goal, it felt as though it was an instruction. And if it wasn't an instruction, then it's disappointing that Stones or Rice or even Henderson didn't just say to Pickford, no, we, mm. we play as we've been playing. Yeah, because if, you, if you've got the advantage, it just stands to reason to ma you know, maintain that advantage, to kind of, you know, go deeper into that advantage, but rather than actually change your style of play, it, it makes no sense. Yeah, and I just, I think for me, I felt as though at 1-1, the momentum was with England, uh, having won the penalty and scored the penalty. And I felt that what we did is seed some of that momentum simply by giving France the ball. Mm. Uh, I know it sounds dumb and a bit basic, but it's one of the major tenets of, of Guardiola's football is that like if the opposition don't have the ball, they can't do anything. They can't hurt you. So in a moment where you feel that you're on top, to then seed that momentum by giving up possession almost voluntarily felt very disappointing. And even in amongst that, I felt England played well enough to be worthy of the equaliser a second time it's just that the second France goal, for me, is very much about the manner in which England say to them, okay, you can have the ball in your half and build up. Mm. Yeah. I, but, I mean, England now are out. Um, and what I'm seeing a lot of on Twitter, and it's something I kind of feel myself, I'm wondering if you feel likewise, is but, uh, still disappointment, of course, but it's nothing like... It doesn't compare to the heartbreaks of, of you know previous exits in nineteen ninety and God we could go on and on. Um against Portugal, what was that in two thousand and six, was it? That one really stung. I feel over it already. And I think that's because England played really well and there's a lot of positives to take out of the tournament. Um would you go along with that? Completely. 
completely. It felt <clears throat> felt very different to me. Um, I feel as though this collection of players will be back. I felt as though there were far more positives than negatives throughout the World Cup. Mm. Uh, I like this collection of players. I've said it before. I think that they have talent, but they have heart as well. So there was very little to feel negative about. And just to repeat myself for the billionth time, because I always do on these things, um, going into the game, my feeling like with big Champions League games was very much, if you give a good account of yourself, that's the best that you can do because yeah. these games are about fine margins and you can play excellent and lose to France and there's no shame in that. So the big question then is, should Southgate stay or go? Um not question of whether you think he will or or even if it's kind of right for England, but you yourself, would you like to see him stay or go? It's really difficult to answer that because I don't know if you've seen today, but um, a lot of hot takers have <laughs> delivered the very, very, very piping hot take from, from the ovens that masquerade as their minds. Uh, that the next England manager must be English because if yeah. he's not English, then it's cheating. And that gives me the impression that they probably know that Southgate is probably leaning towards leaving. If it were my decision, I don't think you can separate the decision for him to go from who replaces him. So if you were to say to me, the pool of replacement candidates are Brendan Rodgers and the fella from Forest, I think I prefer Southgate to stay. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's, I don't see it as being logical that a Premier League manager is going to become an, an manager. It just doesn't have the same cachet as it used no, to. No, it's, it's completely... It's, I think that's a little bit why I've been so perturbed by uh, this notion that the England manager must be English mm. because the pool, that shrinks the pool massively and I'm not sure that you can convince me that even Brendan Rodgers will leave Leicester to manage England because I'm not sure that that will do his CV what he wants it to do to his CV. Yes. So yeah. it's very difficult to make a rational argument for sacking Southgate to replace him with a n other British coach who probably isn't coaching in the Premier League, is either out of work or is in the Championship or is part of the FA's setup, but hasn't actually coached at the highest level. That's not to say that you absolutely must have that experience. I just feel when you have a generation that is as good as this current crop of England players, you'd want the best possible coach available to give you the best chances of winning the next tournament you enter and getting into a almost facetious conversation about well the national team by its very virtue it has to have uh, a British national manager and if it doesn't well then that's cheating it yeah it's very feels very much like I need to give a hot take today, so this is the one I'm giving. Definitely. I, I don't get the cheating aspect of it at all because uh, one suggested that, you know, because England can afford to get a foreign coach, whereas other countries don't have that luxury. But the vast majority of smaller nations have foreign coaches. 
And, and furthermore, lots of those foreign coaches have previously managed other countries. I mean, that's just the way of the world these days of world yep. football. Um, so it doesn't even make sense what they're saying. It's not even correct what they're saying. No, it um, just, you know, it, it just exemplifies uh, for me the problematic and very negative nature of the footballing media in England. Mm. It strikes me that we have always had a media that likes to build and shop uh, in equal measures as quickly as possible. And this feels like a feels like another version of that because ultimately when you go when you go in on your massive platform with the idea if you hire a coach who isn't British, you're cheating. You've set up the narrative for that coach before they've even walked into the job. When people talk about the England job being a poison chalice, if I was a foreign coach and I and I saw the headlines from, let's just call them the lads, uh, if I saw the headlines from the lads, I'm not sure I'd take that job. I might yeah. just look at it and go, you know what? Even if you want me, I'm not sure I want to be scrutinized maligned and criticized and called a cheat from before i've even walked <laughs> yeah. into the job yeah we're going insular again aren't we we're going backwards it's the tories are building kind of coal mines again and um, the, the english footballing press who for decades said you know we need to be more continental and outward looking and and bring in a foreign coach they're now going the other way and saying we need to go all kind of brian clough again it, it we just feel like we're going decades in the past and with this team that would be criminal because what we've got is a young and funky and outward looking and progressive and exciting side with players of that nature. And so we we can't just bring in a play, uh, a manager because he happens to be born in Nottingham. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, looking at the team, though, there are obviously causes for optimism and, and a lot of genuine causes for optimism. Bellingham, Foden, Saka. I mean, these are just... Rice. Um, and rise too. These are, these are kids, and they're going to get yeah. better. And right now, they're exceedingly good. So, does the future look really bright for England? And you know, obviously, neither me or you have a type to kind of go all it's coming home. But might there be a major tournament win sometime in the future? Do you think it's very? It's a little bit like saying we'll sit you in the Champions League. You don't know. Do you? <laughs> yes. In the, in the end, yeah. it's a knockout competition. But what I would say is that absolutely, we have uh, a general. A generation of talent coming through. Let's not forget, Reese James couldn't come to the tournament because mm. he was injured. Let's not forget, we have kids in the under-21s. Even, you know, I've seen knowledgeable uh, international followers talking about how in two years' time they expect Cole Palmer to be part of the England senior setup. So I feel as though there is a, a generation of, of talent coming through, and I just I hope that they get a coach... Um, that befits their talents. Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our content, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes, and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now, or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.